please join me in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful. We've been celebrating amazing things that you're doing to enter into the stream of your story, how your grace is pouring into lives, pouring into our lives. We thank you for taking these ancient ceremonies and shifting them, shifting this ancient ritual washing ceremony that the Old Testament had already provided and Gentiles were participating in, and then pointing out that it's all about Jesus, connecting it to his death and burial and resurrection. We celebrate new life that's made possible by his victory. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking an ancient ceremony from Passover and taking the pieces of it and saying, this now is the blood of the new covenant, my blood, my body. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember, we're grateful, we're thanking you for the grace that you give us, equipping us by your grace and by your spirit and by your power. We want your name and reputation to be known by the changes that you're making in us. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, children, four years old through fifth grade, this is the time where you can get up and follow your staff right on out the back door as you learn your lesson, children's style, and we will learn our lesson. My name is Jim Hammond. If you're new, I'm glad you're here. And uh, maybe you're not glad you're here. Maybe you got dragged here because it's Easter and your family said, come with us, come on. It's just this time, come on. If that's you, I'm glad you're here. I don't think it's an accident. I hope that this is an encouragement to you by the time you leave and you're, you're not dragging your feet anymore. You think, oh, that wasn't so bad. I hope that that's, the, that's your experience today. This is Easter. It's really an important day for the things that we declare and believe. And we're, we're going to take a look at some important matters together. Inside your bulletin, if you grab one on your way in, there's an outline on one side and kind of a study questionnaire sheet on the other side. Some groups actually talk those things through. If you're not in a group and you want to just look at those on your own, you can. But I wanted to start with a question that is the small talk question. Did you ever believe in Santa, the tooth fairy, or the Easter bunny? And when did you stop and why? Aren't you glad I dismissed the kids first? All right. <laughs> did you believe in Jesus when you were a child? Uh, was there ever a time as an adult when you wondered if Jesus was like Santa, the tooth fairy, or the Easter bunny? So I don't know where you're coming from and where, what your level of, uh, of belief is about where Jesus is, but a lot of people, they grew up believing in Jesus, then they entered into a period of uncertainty and wasn't sure what to do with Jesus. You begin to wonder if that is really true, and then you kind of drift with the wondering. Um, I had a little bit of that experience in that um, it hit me 35 years ago, the oddity of it, and everybody's experience is unique to yourself, so I don't know what your experience is like, but 35 years ago, if I'm doing my math right, I was already in my first summer of ministry. I had already got a four-year degree in religious studies. I had been studying theologically all these truths that I've been proclaiming all these years, but at that first summer, if it hit me with this settled uncertainty. What if it's not true? What if all these things that I've been taught 
aren't true. So it's kind of like I was evaluating all these things that I had been taught, and what if it was all just stuff that people made up, and I have placed my whole life in these things that have been made up, and what if it isn't true, and I had this unsettled feeling. Now, I'm fortunate in that I have a go-to person to call and talk to. My, my dad um, became a believer, then became a solid believer, then became a Bible college professor and a missionary. And so he was my go-to person anytime I had these big questions and I called him up. And it was great to hear him not try to answer my questions, but point me to the answers to my questions. And then I began to go to the the places he was pointing me, and it didn't take long for me to get back to a place of certainty. Now, I know that some of you, if if you're thinking about it, you're thinking, certainty? You can't be certain, can you? Certainly I can. That's what we're talking about today. In fact, here's a direct quote from a sermon that Peter preached We're going to look at this phrase, know for certain. Can you really know for certain that Jesus was resurrected? That's what we're talking about today. So our focus reads this way. How can we know anything for certain about Jesus? And especially the core belief that he rose from the dead. And that he can give us eternal life. Now, if you could know for certain, would you like to know for certain? That's the issue that we're talking about today. Now, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to convince you if you're uncertain today, but I hope, like my dad, I can point you in some of the directions that you can investigate and rise your level of certainty from a doubt and a feeling like, I, I, I don't even think you can know, but to have a place where you can begin to investigate. Now, the apostles were certain and I just want to show this to you. I only want to show it to you in a couple places, but it's, it's thoroughgoing. The apostles were the original 12 that Jesus picked out to pour into and tell them all about himself. Something happened, something really happened that caused them to be certain, even to the point where they're willing to die for what they believe. They're that certain. So I'm going to begin with John and something he wrote in a little letter towards the end of the New Testament. He writes in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I meet a lot of people who believe in Jesus who, as I'm talking about it with them, and you might even say, so are you certain that you're going to go to heaven when you die? They, they have this look like, I hope so. And I'm thinking, John doesn't say, I hope so. John says, I know so. And that you can know so. But a lot of people in the West, in, in our scientific, rational thinking, modern world, we start thinking, you can't know that. You can't be certain of that. It's not empirical. It's not a scientific study. It's something we can't really experiment with. And after death, how will we study that? How can you know this with any kind of certainty? I hope so is the best answer we can come up with. I'm telling you, no, John says you can know so. And you'll also notice that it's not about an eternal life after death. You can know that you have eternal life Now, that's a whole different way of thinking. It's an eternal kind of life that is a whole big change, that it's an experience that you know is real, and it's based on something that really happened, and that's what we're going to talk about today. 
So that was the Apostle John. I could go to the Apostle Paul and others to give them the no-so statements. But here's another one from Peter, because we're going to jump into a lengthy uh, discussion from Peter in a moment. We're going to jump into the middle of it first. So let everyone in Israel know for certain. That's the title of our message today, right? Know for certain. Let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Let me give you a little background here. Peter says this in the first sermon that is ever preached in a sermon setting to a crowd after the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, we actually know how many days after. You think, how could you know that? Well, because it took place at a feast, the Feast of Pentecost. And we read about it in Acts chapter 2. So here's what we know about Pentecost. It takes place 50 days after the Passover, and Jesus was crucified on the late in the day of Passover. So 50 days after Jesus was crucified on that first Good Friday, Peter preached this sermon to a whole bunch of people. He says, you, Israel, you who killed Jesus, and this is very, very big on their minds and thoughts because it was just 50 days earlier, this crucifixion was the buzz of the entire community, right? And what Jesus did beforehand was the buzz of the entire community. And now thousands of people, when I say thousands, I mean thousands, because at the end of the sermon, 3,000 people turned from their view of not believing Jesus was who he was and said he was, to believing Jesus was who he said he was, and they were baptized. Even as we saw uh, eight baptisms so far today, they had 3,000 on the first day. And Christianity as a faith in a Messiah was rocket-launched and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were becoming Christians all across and spreading out from there. Now, here's what you need to know. Before the New Testament was written, hold that thought. Because here's what we often think. We often think the only way that we come to belief in Jesus Christ as the resurrected Messiah is the Bible said so. No, 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 no. There was no New Testament yet. It exploded into a movement before the Bible said so because it happened. We're talking about the realm of history and the realm of experiential evidence, things that you can study outside of the statements of faith. Here's what we've been taught if we grew up in the church. The Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's the, what we've been taught. But that's not how the apostles came to faith. When Jesus was crucified, all of a sudden, they didn't believe it. I thought he was the Messiah. He couldn't be killed. They were all unbelievers after Jesus was killed. And then something happened that changed them to become believers. They met the risen Jesus. And now they became certain, not because it said so, because it happened. And that's what we're going to take a look at together today. Are you glad you came? Okay. Point number one. God endorsed Jesus publicly. God endorsed Jesus publicly. On that outline, there's blanks for those of you who like to fill those in. This is your time. For those of you who like to ignore it, this is your time. All right? <clears throat> God endorsed 
Jesus publicly. We're going to jump into this sermon that was just preached 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion on Pentecost. So just to get a frame around that, okay, two days ago was Good Friday, March 30th. If that happened this year, that would mean on May 19th, this sermon was preached. That's a very short duration of time from all these collected emotions and feelings about what took place, all right? So let's take a look at what Peter does. Now, before we jump into the sermon side of it, you need to understand, something happened even at Pentecost. Something happened that the disciples expected to have happened because Jesus says, here's what you need to do. You need to hang out and wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to give you power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait there for the power, and then you'll be my witnesses. And all of a sudden, it happened. And so there's like this light show and sound show, a powerful thing where people are going, what is going on here? You can read about it in Acts 2. We're not going over that. But there's a light show above the, something that was visible spiritually taking place above their heads that is described. Only happened one time at the beginning of the movement. And then as they're speaking, all these people that are gathered for this feast from all the outlying countries with different languages coming back to their Jewish roots, they're hearing the preaching in their own language and they don't get it. What's happening? And then Peter gets up and preaches. Here's what's happening. He explains from the scriptures, just like Jesus said, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Here's what's happening. <sighs> So now let's start. Acts 2.22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. This is nothing new to them. Wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He's not saying this is what the Bible says. He's not saying this is what people who believe say. He's saying you know it. You were there. The whole crowd all had somebody they knew who was healed. Somebody they knew who was talking about the miracles. Somebody they knew who heard and talked. It's just the buzz of the thousands. But here's what happened. They became convinced that this Jesus needed to be killed. Here's what people have a hard time getting a hold of. A lot of people say, Jesus, who was Jesus? Oh, he was a good teacher. He was a good man. He has a lot of great things to teach. And they only hang on to bits and pieces of the history. Wait a minute. If he's a good teacher and a good man, why did they crucify him? Let me explain. Just like the apostles explained, here's what happened. There was a switch in the brains of the religious people, of the Jewish people, that said, he can't be the Messiah. They flipped it off to, nope, he can't be the Messiah. At first, it's like, he's the Messiah. He could be the Messiah. Look at the miracles he's doing. Look what he's doing. He's the Messiah. And then Jesus does some things that really cause them to go, nope, flip off the switch. He can't be the Messiah. Because they were expecting a Messiah that would become a political, earthly ruler who by power would rally the troops and they would overthrow the Romans and they'd get their nation back. And every time that opportunity comes up to throw some weight, to do some power, to rally the troops and take over, Jesus said, nope, I've got a different way. Love your enemies. No, we can't love our enemies. I hate the Romans. We need to overthrow them. No, no, no. Turn your other cheek. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the Messiah we're looking for. And then to make it worse, Jesus, who is a man, says things like this, I and the Father are one. 
What? You're calling God Father? And if you think that's bad, there's one point in time where he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Now he's really messing with them because... Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. The whole Jewish faith was built on the faith of Abraham. And they became a nation because of this faith and all of what God has done. And now Jesus, who comes, claims to be before Abraham. But here's how he says it. Before Abraham was born. He doesn't say before Abraham was born, I was, which would be good English. He's not saying I was, which even that would be amazing. He existed before Abraham. He's saying far more than that. Because with Moses, God revealed his own name. With Moses at the burning bush, Moses says, okay, so you're sending me back to, to deliver the people. Fine, if they say, who is this God? What is your name? What do I say? Tell them, I am that I am have sent you. Great self-designation for God. Because I am that I am just means God is. He didn't become, he just is. Our universe, on the other hand, became. Our universe is not eternal. Our scientists agree. Our universe is running out of gas. Because it's running out of gas, it became. It's not eternal. But God just is. That's how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So God just is. Now Jesus, a man, stands in front of the Jews and he says, before Abraham was, I am. So what did the Jews do? Flip the switch. He's not the Messiah. He's evil. We need to kill him because no man can claim to be God. They flip the switch. They pick up rocks to try to kill him. But Jesus just walks away because it's not his time yet. But eventually, they catch up to the time and they crucify him. That's pretty wild stuff. So on the screen is a little statement. Secular historians all agree that Jesus lived and died. So the next time you run into somebody who says, how do we even know that Jesus lived? Just go, come on, look at history. Secular writers wrote about Jesus too, not just believing writers. Secular writers wrote about this Christus, this Christ who led a movement and who was crucified. Secular writers agree that Jesus lived. History is built on that fact and truth. They agree, agree that he lived and died. That isn't the question. The question for today is whether Jesus died and lived. And the believing writers are convinced that he died and lived, that something really happened. Okay? And that's what we're talking about today. Let's continue in, in Peter's sermon. Verse 23 to 32. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So the flip switching was even part of God's plan. He didn't reveal the prophecy so clearly that they go, oh, that's him. He revealed the prophecies in such a way that it was cryptic enough that they weren't expecting it exactly like this so that it happened just the way it happened according to God's plan. But, verse 24, this is part of Peter's preaching, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, he get, enters into a Bible study. Remember, it's a Jewish audience, so he starts reading from the ancient Old Testament script. He's reading from the Psalms, a thousand years earlier, and he reads, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy in your presence. Now he shifts from reading or quoting text to preaching. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this. They saw him alive after they saw him dead. Paul writes that at one particular occasion, there was a group of 500 people that Jesus spoke to at once. Now, that's a tough one to try to say. It was a mass hallucination. 500 at one time. And then there's also all the 12 at one time, one at one time, all the different people that saw Jesus resurrected. Point number two, God raised Jesus. Now, if we didn't have the Old Testament, we would not believe in Jesus the way that we're supposed to believe in Jesus. We would have thought he was an alien that came to earth and did something weird, right? I mean, just because he raised from the dead doesn't help us as much as knowing the prophecies, knowing all the anticipation, all that God did in advance to prepare for it so that there was a meaning that we're reflecting on that he taught in advance so we understand what's taking place. He's not just a weird alien that just wanted to freak us out, Right? There's more to it than that. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Let's keep reading the sermon. Jump down to verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. Let's say that again. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Now Peter's explaining the experience they're all freaked out about and preaching about it and explaining what is taking place. The Lord said to my Lord, for David did, this, did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Okay, so just in case one of you out there, or two of you, or five of you, I don't know how many, was dragged here today, and you're thinking, this sermon is uncomfortable? Imagine sitting in the sermon with Peter, and Peter's preaching to you, this guy that you crucified, you, the masses, who shouted, crucify him, crucify him, because you were convinced, because you flipped the switch, he's not the guy, he needs to be killed, he's claiming to be one with the Father, he's claiming to be the I am, a man can't claim that, that's evil, the way he's doing the miracles is through some kind of evil power, he needs to be killed, you're convinced, and that's what happened, and then some guy says, ooh, you're wrong about it. To prove it, God raised him from the dead. This person you crucified is the Lord, is the Messiah. Wow, now you're really uncomfortable, aren't you? Listening to this message. And that is so uncomfortable. That's why we get the question in point number three. They respond, what shall we do? Because they are 
Convinced by their experience, convinced by what they know about what has happened, convinced by the eyewitnesses who are now standing before them with boldness. Wow, you mean we were wrong? You mean he raised from the dead truly? And the movement was born. Let's keep reading. What shall we do? Acts 2.37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter didn't say, I don't know. You did it. He actually gave a cohesive, quick answer for them. He says to them, Repent, this is verse 38, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Three things. Repent. You flipped the switch, and you thought he was wrong, and you thought all of that's untrue. You need to change your idea. No, he was right. What he says goes, and you need to now adjust your thinking. That's the same for us. If you're living life ignoring God, you're doing your own thing, doing, calling your own shots, being your own boss, you need to repent. Adjust your thinking. He is Lord. He is one with the creator. He was sent here to redeem us. What he says goes. If you want eternal life, you need to adjust. Whoa, I need to do life with you. I need to stop ignoring you. I need to see if this is real. Repent. And then the next thing you do is be baptized. Once you come to the place where you believe it's real, you believe he's true, then you identify with what's real and you begin to follow him. And if you do that, you receive the gift. Now you receive the spirit of God because you've been washed clean by what Jesus did and God can take up residence in you with a resurrection life that is now a power that helps you follow Jesus and live for Jesus. Just in case you're interested, here's what he concludes with in verse 39. This promise is to you and your children and even to the Gentiles. I'm so glad that's there because I am a Gentile. Just in case you don't know what that means, how many of you are not Jews? You're not Jewish. You're a Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. God worked within the Jewish community first to introduce his son Jesus so that he could expand it and offer it to all of us. And it's cool that this promise is to you, to your children, even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Would you stand with me? We're going to conclude with a prayer that I wrote out. Here's the deal. If you're uncomfortable praying, let me just talk about this. Let's just say there's this guy that you have never met, don't know, and you're uncomfortable with him. You're not sure you believe in him or trust him in any way, shape, or form. You can't make yourself believe in him, right? I mean, you don't know him. How do you get to know whether you're going to trust him? You have to establish some sort of communication to see if there's trust or no trust. That's the same way with God. If you don't believe in God, I can't tell you to do anything to make yourself believe, except expose yourself to the real God to see if he's real. Talk to him to see if he's real. And look at what he teaches to see if that matches your understanding of reality. And as you interact together, you might be able to take some steps where now you're believing where you didn't used to believe, just like trusting somebody that you didn't used to trust. Really, that's all we're asking. So if you're comfortable, pray this prayer out loud with me. If you're uncomfortable, don't worry about it. When you are ready to pray a prayer like this, join us in prayer. Because we're taking little steps 
from wherever we are to learn whether we can trust this God who did something and it really happened. Here we go. Dear God, I want to know you and experience you with more certainty. You said this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Well, you know how far off I've been. Lord Jesus, thank you for offering your life as a sacrifice to pay for my sin debt. Thank you for making it possible for me to be forgiven. My dear Lord Jesus, because of your invitation and promise, I come to you now to be restored in you, renewed in you, to receive your life and love and all the grace and mercy I so desperately need today. I want your spirit to help me to follow you. It is in Jesus' victorious name and authority I ask this. Amen. Amen? Let me just tell you about what's coming. Okay, we're almost done. Um, every week we talk about some of the things that we offer. Next week is our next steps preview. A next steps preview is an opportunity to just have lunch with the pastors and meet some other newcomers and hear about some other next steps that we, uh, that we provide constantly. And you can kind of choose what you're comfortable with and which next steps to take. One of the things we'll tell you about next steps is that the end of this month, and we have a repeated cycle, so we'll give you some dates, we offer a class called Connect Life so that you can learn about what it will take to connect your life to Christ and this church and what other steps look like. So that's coming next week. You don't have to sign up. Just come next week at 12.30. Enjoy lunch with us on us, and we'll just uh, get to know each other and hand you a sheet about some next steps. Another exciting thing that's coming up is that we're beginning a whole new series next week. It'll be four sessions together, and the series title is Grace is Greater. And the idea is grace is greater than my guilt. Grace is greater than my shame. Grace is greater than the suffering and the pain. Grace is greater than my confusion. Grace is greater. And we're going to zero in on some of those elements for the next four weeks. So I invite you back. Hope that you'll come and enjoy that series with us. I'm glad you came today. That's all we have for you. But if you have a prayer need, anything that you would like somebody to pray with you about, we've got a prayer team to the right of the stage. Come on up after we're done and just say, this is, can you pray for me about this? They'd be happy to do that. God bless. Enjoy your Easter. Have a great day. We hope to see you next week.